1: Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the cover three podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fresnelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. You can tickle that like. You can tickle that subscribe. You can gently tap it. You can give it a high five. But whatever you do, make sure you make contact with that subscribe. Make sure you make contact with that like and come and join us in the chat. This is, as we've said before. The mailbag episodes are not limited to the big old bag of mail, where you leave us a five-star review and put your question in that review. We will tackle it in a future mailbag episode. We are also taking questions from the live audience. So if you are hanging out with us live, youtube.com slash three, go ahead and drop your question in the chat as well. We will grab as many of them as we can, uh, not only at the end of the show, but all throughout the show. And for those of you who get here early and just go ahead and get things popping from the beginning, go ahead. Just start dropping questions. A a new uh, order, new procedure here at the Cover 3 podcast for our mailbag episodes. But before we get to some of those, we do have some big news. And look, we we apologize for the the delay. We just had to send some special invitations to Notre Dame fans to make sure that they can come join us for the discussion that we're going to have in just a little bit. But we begin with the exit. After winning another national championship as offensive coordinator of the Georgia Bulldogs, Todd Munkin has been hired as the new offensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens said they had a very extensive search. We had 14 candidates, 11 interviews, and you landed on what is widely regarded as a um, top offensive mind throughout the, the game of football. He has been... You know, the offensive coordinator in of the Tampa Bay Bucks. So being in the NFL is, uh, you know, nothing that is, is new for Todd Munkin. This is not unfamiliar territory. And he did great work with this Georgia offense. Incredibly efficient group. Great job developing uh, quarterback Stetson Bennett into the future NFL draft pick that he is going to be. So what happens at Georgia? Well, it gets pretty easy. Mike Bobo. What's old is new. Time is a flat circle. Kirby Smart looks at one end of the table. This is old buddy Mike Bobo. Kirby Smart looks at the other end of the table. This is old buddy Will Muschamp. I mean, just a just guys being dudes in Athens. What do you make of the decision to promote Bobo from analyst, and and what are our expectations for Georgia's offense going forward?
2: It makes plenty of sense. Like it's it's continuity more than anything. Like you're losing your coordinator, you're going to what you know. And I Mike Bobo, like obviously he's been Georgia's offensive coordinator before. He was there for eight years as the offensive coordinator. Um, He played at Georgia. He's a quarterback. Everybody on that staff played there and now coaches there. I think it's it's not an exciting hire. Like, if you're a Georgia fan, and you think back to where we were on this show a few years ago before we became the Georgia pod that we are now, we were talking about how this was a program that kind of needed to open things up on offense. And they did to an extent with Munkin, but they were also still somewhat Reserved because of their personnel at the quarterback position, and I think also by the head coach. So I, I I don't think this is a surprise in that this is the direction that Kirby wants to go. I don't think it's a bad hire at all. Like if you look at Bobo's last couple of stops at Auburn at South Carolina, they did not go great, but I don't put that as much on Bobo as I do maybe the personnel that those teams had, and I think he's going to be stepping into a situation with much better personnel in Athens that he was using in those spots so I don't think we're going to see a team that's scoring 40 points a game and lining up four wide and doing all the kind of air raid stuff that everybody wants now but I think they're probably going to be just as effective as they have been running the ball. Is Mike Bobo
3: the best candidate to replace Todd Munkin? I I kind of doubt it. Is he a bad candidate to replace Todd Munkin? I, I also doubt that right like Kirby and Will Muschamp played with the guy. They've been on staff with him for several years. He he was Will's OC at at South Carolina. And thank God for Georgia fans, Will's not the head coach because <laughs> apparently you can't play offense if, if Muschamp's your head coach. But it's a very safe hire, I think. I mean, the guy is shown to be, in prior years, I, I believe, a reasonably competent to good offensive coordinator. You have really good players at Georgia. They're recruiting like crazy. I mean, the, the 2024 class they're putting together right now is nuts. I, I wonder how much of this is also his relationship with Dylan Rayola, the you know, stud 2024 quarterback who was in Matt Stafford's luxury box for the national championship game, uh, like former Ohio State kid, really, really talented prospect. And Georgia's in the quarterback market this year at the high school ranks. So I wonder if some staff continuity there helps. It To me, it's like a high floor hire. Maybe it's a high ceiling hire too. I just I don't think it's going to go bad unless Georgia gets a lot of injuries or all of a sudden quits recruiting and that, that ain't happening.
0: So um, I, when I was uh, around Georgia leading up to the national championship game, one of the things that some people around that program talked about was how much Kirby smart values the um, relationship that the staff has with each other that he does want to create like a, I'm sorry for using the C word here, but like wants to create a good culture, like wants to create something uh, where everybody on the staff really enjoys working with each other. He grinds you know, he demands a lot from these coaches, but I think that that's where the personal relationship side of this is probably something that, you know, Kirby wants to have fun winning at a high level. You don't, you're Georgia. You don't need to get out and like go spot an ace recruiter. like, Your shirt with the G on it is the ace recruiter. Like You're winning national championships. You are operating at a a peak efficiency right now and being able to make sure that you're not bringing in someone who's going to create any disruption within the staff, somebody who's going to know exactly how things work. It honestly is similar to hires we've seen Nick Saban make where you are bringing in someone that knows exactly what the expectations are. You're not going to rock the boat too much, but you are going to work hard. And so for that, I'm like, man, it, it must be nice to be Kirby smart so that you can make these hires where your working relationship and your personal relationship can all be valued. You're not really under you're not really under pressure right now. You just want two natties. Like you don't, no one's saying like, you got to ace this hire. It's like, no, we trust you. He's gotten so much leash with this hire right now. I'm, I'm going back to that idea that Kirby smart values, the working relationship between the members on his staff. And it's not a surprise at all. Then that it's somebody else who he's got a long, long relationship with.
2: Do either of you have any concerns about stagnation? Yes. Because like, You know a team, another program that recently won two national titles? And we told their coach, yeah, we trust him to make the hires he wants for his culture. So when you look at what Kirby's done, he's played with his D.C. at Georgia, played with his O.C. at Georgia. They're all friends. They all know each other. It's kind of like an echo chamber of ideas. And that was the one thing, like Todd Munkin came in. And he wasn't from inside that you know circle. He brought in different ideas what he wanted to do on offense. And obviously, he was, still had to fit it into what Georgia and Kirby wanted to do. I do wonder, or at least I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I do think you have to at least keep an eye on some possible kind of drop-off, honestly, because we saw it with Clemson. When you keep doing the same things and there aren't new ideas, things get stagnant, things don't work. And Georgia didn't win any national titles without Todd Munkin. So it's going to be interesting to see. It's fair,
3: I think, to worry a little bit about it because of what Tom just said. And I have tremendous respect for Todd Munkin. I mean, like the guy made Stetson Bennett into a Heisman finalist. Okay. He's really a really good coach. I know producer Coca had to be overjoyed when when Baltimore hired him. Um, But I think the key difference here is that the guys Dabo was promoting – had not done it successfully elsewhere, and we mm-hmm. have seen Mike Bobo be, like be a good offensive coordinator elsewhere. I'm not going to hold the one year at South Carolina, you know, for, for that, and then the you know, the Auburn year necessarily against him. Like we've seen him have a lot of success as a coordinator before. The the Georgia offenses that he coordinated were were pretty good. We've also seen Will Muschamp be really good at running defenses. So like, yes, is he hiring his old buddies? Yes, but unlike the guys Clemson hired, who may someday turn out to be good coaches. They did not have prior success. Clemson's hiring guys or promoting guys that were just super green. At least Kirby's like promoting or hiring guys who have had success elsewhere.
0: I, I think Kirby's got a lot of leash because of the talent level and how good that team is defensively, especially with your offensive coordinator. I mean, they could just run the dang ball, Bobo, and probably go win another SEC East title. And they could just play field position and they could be very conservative. They could revert to being a conservative offense and still show up in the SEC championship game with a shot to play your way into the college football playoff.
2: Kind Um, of off topic then. But if you revert to an old fashioned kind of smash mouth offense in the playoff expands, and now you can't just win two games, you've probably got to win three. And you might have to face better teams than you were facing in the current 14 format. Is there any concern there?
0: Yeah. But I, I think that you get the leash. Like, that's why I say leash. Like, you've got the room where, all right, Kirby. Like, it, this, is, this is what you get when you get reach that level of success, is you get the, ben- I guess, benefit of the doubt is, uh, is, is a good one here. All right, here's a, remember I said live questions all throughout the show. This one right uh, on the topic. Dawson says, does Todd Monk and leaving make it more likely that one of George's quarterbacks transfer?"
3: No, M- math makes it more likely because they're probably going to hit on a stud quarterback <laughs> like like, mm-hmm. like Riola in, in this cycle, and somebody's going to win the starting job and somebody's going to lose the starting job and will want to play as opposed to sitting for a, yet another year. So I think the answer to that is no. Like, I there's no reason for me to believe that Munkin had so much more of a better relationship with these quarterbacks than Bobo. I mean, I, I do kind of buy into the idea that. Bobo's probably not quite as good of a play caller as Munkin. But as far as quarterbacks, Bobo played the position. It, it, no, I, I don't think there's any real
2: validity to that. I mean, unless you guys, am I missing something here? No, I, I don't think, I mean, i th- you just look at the quarterback position in general. I can't remember who did it, but wasn't it like two weeks ago? Somebody did like a, a research on the amount of quarterbacks who've transferred, like of the higher rated and wasn't it like 70-something percent of QBs have transferred that were like the four- and five-star guys at some point in their career? I think if you have talented quarterbacks in your quarterback room, no matter who the offensive coordinator is, there's a high likelihood that one of them is going to transfer.
0: Did Brendan Marcello do that?
2: No,
3: it was Max Olsen, and they took, the top, uh, they took the top 50 quarterbacks per class, which to me doesn't really represent the elite quarterbacks. Yeah, I would stick to 10 in the class. Probably. Yeah. I'd want to see the top 10 and I'd want to see a a study that's, you know what? Maybe I'll just do this. Cause we'll do I, it. Yeah. I'll work I'll, for I'll, tonight. I'll I want it on the yeah. show tomorrow. All right, we'll, <laughs> we'll look into this.
0: All right. Um, yeah. Shout out to Max. He's a, he's a big fan of the show. Also a big fan of the show. ESPN's Pete Thamel. And he reported Ooh. that Utah offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig, who had interviewed for the offensive coordinator job at Notre Dame with such momentum behind the story that we gave it a whole daggum segment on Monday's podcast. Then on Monday night, he has informed Notre Dame and Utah he will be staying with Utah. According to ESPN's Pete Thamel, sources said that Andy Ludwig's buyout of at least 2 million, exact number unknown depending on how the buyout impact is interpreted, proved an obstacle in discussions with Notre Dame. Notre Dame flew Andy Ludwig to South Bend, brought him around on campus, conducting the interview. And this is after Colin Klein had also been interviewed for the position and then decided that he was going to stay at Kansas state. Is, uh, is Notre, does Notre Dame need 20 bucks? (laughs) Collection plate ain't quite as full as they thought. I mean, this I I'm, I'm being really unfair here, but I expect Notre Dame looks at a $2 million buyout figure should be able to take care of that. I what's going on here.
3: Most of these really rich guys, you know, are cheap. And I think Notre Dame is kind (laughs) of cheap,
2: man. (laughs) Yeah. um, They got money. They just don't spend it. They, they do. They just, I guess they don't think that it's worth the expense, but it is like, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I'm, pretty pissed off about this like if if ludwig was willing to come and the only thing that stopped you was paying his buyout even if you can come up with a strong logical argument that i can buy for why like listen we're not spending three million to buy out an offensive coordinator let's look at where college football is right now how much money if you want to win national titles how much money do you think the quarterback you need to do that is going to cost you if you won't invest that kind of money in your OC, maybe it's because you're only planning on spending it on players. So maybe it's not that bad. But for me, that's just a bad sign for what Notre Dame's approach will be in the NIL era.
3: Tom, uh, no, no, we were told that remember the, the fans in the chat told us that Notre Dame missed out on the five-star type players. They were in on like Keely and those, that stuff because of NIL. So it can't be that they're spending it on, on players. I, I did see a tweet out there from, and I forgot to put this in the doc, so I apologize. But it was from a like a legitimate media member that said that uh, the offensive line coach buyout as well uh, was was a factor. So maybe it was more than just the two point eight. Which, again, like are are you trying to win did, national titles? Right. Why did Brian Kelly leave Notre Dame? Most mm-hmm. likely, I think it was because you can recruit much better at LSU with the same effort level than you can at Notre Dame in terms of the quality of player you can get in. And in terms of the width of the net that you can cast because of academics. But it also makes me wonder if it's stuff like this, because in the SEC, they just call that the price of doing business, man.
0: Right. I mean, that's so uh, I think if I'm Marcus Freeman, I'm upset, right? And this, if you're Marcus Freeman, I mean, this, and, and that's one thing I've seen from a lot of Notre Dame fans is that this is Marcus Freeman. The, it looks like this is Marcus Freeman not being able to have the resources he needs to succeed at the highest level. It is him being set up to fail. I mean, this is not, a, a, a not fair to Marcus Freeman if Marcus Freeman really wanted Andy Ludwig and $2 million is the only thing separating it. If it's something more, then I'll reconsider my position on the issue. But that's something that I think we've seen from a lot of Notre Dame fans is like, whoa, um, let's see, this one came through earlier. Andrew says, is Freeman in charge of running the football program at Notre Dame? It doesn't feel like it. He is in charge of running the football program, but he is, uh, I do believe, not uh, getting everything that he needs if Andy Ludwig is the the coordinator that he wants. I mean, like, what? how, did, how does Notre Dame bounce back from this?
2: By making a home run higher and winning games, but just just optically it doesn't send a good message if what's you know they weren't willing to pay this buyout they weren't willing to pay the buyout of Ludwig and the offensive line coach whatever if they're not willing to spend and you are a big name offensive coordinator like I don't think you're going to turn down Notre Dame over this but I think that when it comes to getting like the higher echelon of coaches that's something that coaches talk this stuff gets around it's not like it's you know, some, it, whatever happened, coaches are going to know. And if it's just that, if there's the idea that Notre Dame's not willing to do what it takes to win the games, it might, it's going to impact their ability to find somebody. And also, just this late in the cycle to begin with. Mm. I, I will say the
3: one thing that we don't know here is what is it like to coach for Marcus Freeman? I, I don't know that. I haven't heard anything good or bad about what it's like to work for the guy. But, you know, Colin Klein staying at Kansas State, assuming that he was actually offered, you know, like a lot of times stuff gets thrown out there. Right. But I, I think he's a pretty bright young mind in the game. Um, Andy Ludwig deciding to stay at Utah. I I don't think you bring Andy Ludwig like on campus and do that kind of thing unless you're intending to hire him, which also begs the question, like what? Did you not know the, the buyout terms or is it not? The buyout here that was the issue. Maybe Ludwig, maybe there was something else about Notre Dame's program that Ludwig didn't like, or maybe he maybe just liked Protestant. who he was. Could be. Yeah.
0: <laughs> or like or just Jack Swarbrick just doesn't like Ludwig. Yeah. I don't that's, know. That's, or, or maybe
3: there's just something about Notre Dame that, that Ludwig doesn't like. Like we're assuming it's the buyout. I, I tend to believe the reporting. I haven't done any original reporting of this on my own. We're just commentating, but I, it's weird that Notre Dame would all of a sudden. Decide not to do it because
2: the buyout like the AD should know what the buyout is before you bring the guy in for the interview. Maybe the word buyout is just extremely triggering for Jack Swarbrick and Notre Dame because of (laughs) Charles.
0: No, no, I've just I've been conditioned that anytime I hear the B word, I just say no and I shut things down right away. Mm. Uh, Speaking of offensive coordinator, we do have a hire the university of miami mario cristobal is set to is reportedly set to hire shannon dawson shannon dawson was um under holgerson back at west virginia uh shannon dawson right and and with holgerson at houston too is that correct yes correct uh so he's part of the air raid tree and so you're bringing in an air raid uh coordinator we recently saw ret lashley have a lot of success uh, as the offensive coordinator under a different head coach as well. But, you know, you get the right system. You get some of this uh, South Florida talent. you you be able to to get these guys in space. You can have some success. Uh, What do you make of the hire of Shannon Dawson uh, to be Miami's new offensive coordinator?
3: It's intriguing uh, because of the guys that Cristobal has had be his OCs before. uh, Probably the most wide open who he actually brought on would have been Joe Moorhead. And Shannon Dawson is of the air raid tree. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how they sort of marry what he was doing with what Mario typically wants his offensive coordinators to do, which is pound the rock, play very slow, et cetera. Uh, I think it's also interesting that Houston has become more diverse in its run schemes and more uh, like their run pass ratio has skewed more run than other air raid teams had in prior years so clearly dawson's a guy who doesn't hate to run the football Uh, and same question we had about notre dame what what's it like to work for mario cristobal and the guy goes through a lot of coaches it's not easy to work for him but the money's good and you're going to get to play with really good offensive linemen and that's probably going to make your offense look pretty good if you can get quarterback right just how do you marry those schemes? I'm I'm really interested.
2: Yeah, I am going to put it on wax that Miami will not be throwing the ball 40 times per game. They're hiring somebody from the air raid tree, but they are not going to be running the Dana Holgerson, Mike Leach kind of air raid. It's it's an interesting hire. I I can't wait to see what it looks like because you like that's the one thing when it comes to the air raid because of the name air raid. A lot of air raid offenses do run the ball a lot, like depending on your personnel. It's just about spreading things out and getting that kind of space. It opens it up for running game. So it doesn't mean that they can't. It doesn't mean they can't still be the kind of power running team that you would think of with Mario Cristobal and what he dreams of at night. But it maybe they'll just look a little bit different. It's going to be a very interesting thing to watch. And it's got kind of like, I don't have a bad feeling about it. I don't have a good feeling about it as much as I just kind of like, I have a, hmm, I I can't wait to watch Miami's first game or two next season just to see what they're going to look like. And if they do come out and they're spreading things out, do they stick with it the moment something goes wrong or do they then get ultra conservative? So it's, it's an interesting storyline to follow. I think
0: the quarterbacks are, are there for him to be able to have success are the wide receivers. No. Yeah.
3: Like they, they probably needed to be a little bit less selective in the portal in the December, you know, window. And I would expect Miami will be a little more open to uh, a lesser quality of player, or maybe they'll just pull some stud uh, in, in the spring, but they need to get somebody in there who's a more experienced pass catcher. We saw that offense kind of crater when Restrepo went down last year. Uh, no, Colby Young was actually kind of intriguing for them down the stretch. There weren't a whole lot of bright spots, but he was one of them. I don't hate the young kids they brought in; they're just true freshmen. Tough. Uh, I think they need to go out and get somebody.
0: Yeah, the uh, the, the the classic case of a bud um, pointing to his spreadsheet and just being like, "Where are these catches?" Oh, at sir. AC Media Day. Yeah, huh. sir, sir, coach, coach, coach. Where are these catches right here? Because these are all gone. Sure enough. You know, uh, they threw at Houston, they threw the ball a little bit, but they also had an all world receiver named Tank Dell. Uh, mm-hmm. Tank Dell would show up in Coral Gables and be the like superstar right away. Much better in my eyes. Obviously, Restrepo went down, but in my eyes, uh, the a level up, like they don't have a Tank Dell right now um, uh, in that Miami wide receiver room. So probably need to go get one.
3: Gino Smith, uh, who, who played at Miramar high school down there um, really uh, liked Shannon Dawson and gave him the vote of confidence on Twitter. So uh, at least there's that. Hey,
0: G- Gino Smith is the, uh, like, that's the shining star for, yeah. for all quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You could, hey, things might not be going well, but you can be Gino. You can be Gino Smith, land on your feet and get things going.
2: Don't write them back.
0: Don't write what?
2: When they write you off, don't write back.
0: <laughs> put it, put it, knit it, and put mm-hmm. it on a pillow. Motivation for you, right there. Um, the The Pac twelve wants us to know everything's all good. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. The Pac Pac twelve wants to say, "Hey, listen, though, uh, we'll we'll get this. You know, we'll we'll get this media rights deal short up, as as we have discussed. That uh, you know, if I'm the Big Twelve, you know, if I, other conferences." You know there there is an opportunity that uh, before they sign this Pac-12 media rights deal that you might be able to get a Pac-12 school without having to go through the painful negotiations that the SEC just did with Texas and Oklahoma. The Pac-12 said the ten Pac-12 universities look forward to con consummating successful media rights deals in the very near future based upon positive conversations with multiple potential media rights partners over the past weeks we remain highly confident in our future growth and success as a conference and united in our commitment to one another it's not great that you're having to say
2: this right it's like when AD releases the vote of confidence like three days before he fires the coaches it's I don't know what's going to happen that much is very clear based on what i was thinking was going to happen with oklahoma and texas so we might get a television deal announced today but when you have to come out to tell everybody we're sticking together while we're waiting for this tv deal which they've been expecting for quite a while now and it hasn't shown up it's it's not a great sign and i think honestly the thing that they're learning right now which is not exactly rocket science losing usc and ucla is not good for your television deal because right now your time slot is more valuable to the networks than your brands that is not a good position to be in so i just don't know what's going to happen i do not think i think that there's offers on the table this is all speculation so let's be clear i think there are offers on the table and they were nowhere near what they thought they could get or they are nowhere near what the big 12 got and now it's about trying to just hope somebody comes along and offers more to save face because they don't want to look bad. But, I, again, I think the time slot's more valuable than any of your teams.
3: I think Tom nailed it. Also, should we be able to say TV deal if they're
2: 100% streaming? I don't, ah. think, I don't think they're going to be streaming. I
0: don't think like, they're going to be 100% streaming. Yeah, okay. like
2: if if you look at what Amazon and those companies have done, they're not trying to buy entire leagues. They're buying, like, Apple with baseball bought a couple games a week. Amazon Mm -hmm. bought one NFL game a week. Like, ESPN Plus has been buying that kind of stuff because it wants the inventory because it's, you know, it's got plenty of inventory already, so it's just tossing more on there. But I don't think that's what, like, Amazon and these guys are into. I think they just want a game.
3: See, I, I was thinking Amazon would want a lot of in, inventory because it's not limited by channels, right? Like, like, like you have you have ESPN, you have ESPN two, you have CBS, you have CBS Sports Network, right? We, we don't really have other channels to put that on on the linear side, but you do have basically unlimited streaming channels if you if you want to do that. Um, yeah, I I think it was Stu Mandel who I, I was listening to, and he said that like. The Pac-12 Commissioner Klarkoff was really not uh, not on the mark as far as what they thought they were going to get and what they had been telling the league members they were going to get. And I mean, I, USC and UCLA are probably, what, 40%, 50% of the Pac-12's value in terms of, of, of national branding. So I'd be surprised if they got $40 million per year. Really pretty surprised, honestly.
0: George Kleofkoff, who was uh, at an SMU basketball game, not even trying to hide it. Just like. Well, you did was, wear a hat. But but it was like the Rob Lowe hat, with just like an NFL logo. <laughs> just true. I mean,
2: it's just, yeah. I'm, like I'm not trying to slam any of the schools that are there. I'm not trying to slam San Diego State or SMU. But like when you're openly flirting with San Diego State and SMU thinking that is going to solve your problem, you are in a world of hurt.
0: Um, let's uh, see. How about this? Said we uh, take some live questions. If the Pac-12 loses the four corners, which is Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado and Utah, Uh, Especially back-to-back conference champs, Utah. The Pac-12 is done, but I think they survive if they keep them. What is y'all's percentage chance that they leave the four corner schools?
3: I don't know. Five percent.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. I think it's very low.
3: I don't. Yeah, I don't really take that all that seriously.
0: Like the idea that, that the big 12 is going to like, it would be a surprise. We would have to see a lot more at this point with the information that we have, I believe that those schools are going to stay in the Pac 12 and the Pac 12 will remain a league and it's not going to crumble. And so I would set it at less than 20%.
3: So, okay. If we're going to do this, let's quickly discuss why those schools would be valuable to the big 12. They're not like Colorado's not a draw. I mean, they will be for a couple of years while Dion's there, but l- long-term no, uh, Arizona, Arizona State aren't really serious about football. It doesn't appear. I mean, I I make that judgment based on how Arizona State just let Herm Edwards do that to all the assistant coaches and run the program into the ground. Um, You're getting them because it would give the Big 12 an attractive late night TV package, which ESPN needs to fill that inventory. Yeah, like they're really only valuable for the time slot. I don't know, man. Like, is that? Do you want to join a conference that only values you due to that? It's a lot of travel. It's probably not that much more money. Ultimately, um, you're playing what exclusively night games, basically, right? If you're I the mean, night type, like you guys oh, are will, not,
2: like you're ain't playing day games. If if it's that, I haven't done the math, but for Arizona and Arizona State, like, say Pac-12 doesn't add San Diego State. Is the travel further for the Pac-12 than it is for the Big 12. If you're Arizona, yeah, and Arizona State, if all yeah, your UCF, games are West Midwest. Virginia, yeah, true. But there's a whole lot of Texas games and that like Midwest games that aren't too far compared to traveling to Oregon, Washington, Northern That's California.
0: So but Orlando, Orlando's, Orlando's pretty, pretty far. It's <laughs> a yeah. yeah. Big 12 town now.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Morgantown is is fairly far from Tucson.
2: Yeah. I just, I wonder, i I wonder if somebody should do the math. I'm not, I'm too lazy, but somebody should do the math to figure out what the average distance would be from the schools to the Arizona schools. I don't think I know, they've asked.
0: I, I see, you know, obviously Colorado has its old, you know, Big 12 history. Um, there are, there's a good market. If you can't get Southern California and you're the Big 12, getting the Phoenix, you know, larger Arizona marketplace would be excellent. Um, and then, You know, Utah also, you've got BYU in the league. You know, you've got a little bit of a travel partner you get to make that rivalry a part of your conference package. Um, So I I get it from the Big 12 standpoint. But right now for the question that was asked, yeah, very low percentage. Uh, Let's stay in the Pac-12 real quick with a little bit of news from the recruiting trail because while um, Michael Penix is going to be back for the 2023 season at Washington, solidifying that quarterback position, you know, there was, you know, we've had some players leave in that quarterback room with Penix's decision to return, and now we've got uh, a blue-chip quarterback, Austin Mack, who is supposed to be in the 2024 class, ranked as a top-10 quarterback in the 2024 class, has announced that he will reclassify to the class of 2023, meaning that he will be on campus this fall and a true freshman on the team, uh, Austin Mack. I don't have his full profile on my head, uh, bud. So I, it, I've got you what number eight quarterback in the class, you know, top 10 quarterback in the class, pretty good player. Um, what, what do you sort of see from this, uh, this move for Washington and for Mack?
3: Big time tools, like, like we, we think Michael Penix has a big arm, and he does. Uh, Austin Mack has some serious tools, like, the arm has a lot of juice. He's 6'6", 210, good athlete. Like if you're a Washington fan, you need to be really happy about this because it also means Washington doesn't have to fight to hold on to his commitment for the next twelve months. Because this is a kid who personally I thought really could have risen up the ranking, risen up the rankings even more. I mean, he was already a, a top ten quarterback for us in the twenty twenty four class. Uh, this is just a really good get for for Washington to get him enrolled early, I think, and, and get him on campus. I'm a little skeptical, typically, of guys who who enroll—not enroll early, but like reclass a year early. It oftentimes doesn't work out, but I'm kind of willing to believe it will with DeBoer and sitting behind Michael Penix for a year, because it's not like you're doing it to go play as a 17-year-old. You just you're you're college ready physically now, and might as well just start learning. I guess it's,
2: expl- it's pretty fun. Can you explain for listeners who might not follow it that closely? What does reclassing mean and what goes into it? How are kids able to, like, you know, in, in a way, skip a year?
0: Yeah, he's, sure. So, he he just finished he, it, so he's in his yeah. junior high school year.
3: Mm-hmm. We saw it more in basketball for some reason. Um, and now you're starting to see it some in football. Uh, it basically just – a lot of these dudes already work so far ahead so that they can enroll in January, right? So they're working about a semester ahead normally to get, make sure you got all your core credits done by Christmas so you can enroll. Now they're just trying to do it a, an extra semester early. So he would have all his math and all his uh, you know science and all that stuff and, and get the test score out of the way if, if he's a test score kid. Uh, so it, it's becoming a little bit more common. I think it's hard, harder to do in football just because of the physical readiness aspect because football is a, a collision sport, whereas basketball is, a I guess, a contact sport.
0: What do you have to do? What, what's the minimum for senior year? Isn't it just senior English for some states?
3: I think so. I'm not sure. Now now you don't have to have a test score, by the way.
0: So We had a major conference um, basketball recruit at my high school when I was there. And I remember the only thing he absolutely had to do during his senior season was English. And so it was like English and seven gym classes.
3: <laughs> we uh- <laughs> Did you guys have like a standardized test that you had to pass in high school? Mm,
0: Not in high school.
3: We had the FCAT, which was the Florida Comprehensive Assessment Test, I would guess.
0: I remember in middle school, we had the The, EGOTs or something. No, the EGOT. No, that's Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Was there
2: like a CAT test or something we had in like junior high? I can't remember. It was something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah high I, I don't remember it in high school, but I definitely remember it uh, coming up along the way.
2: I just remember my senior year of high school. I took all AP classes now counted as college credit. So I got it like a head start on that.
0: Nice. You didn't you didn't want to go with seven gyms?
2: No, dude, I got out of gym after sophomore year, like football players and athletes. You were able to get out of gym and practice counted as your gym class.
0: Mm, and you didn't want to be stinky the rest of the day. Yeah,
2: it was seven I mean, period special. Sort of you just go to the weight room, lift, yeah. and then go to practice
0: easy uh so austin mack again a really good quarterback he has reclassified he will be joining the team this fall so uh, a little bit of talent in that quarterback room which of course will be helmed by michael Penix. coming up on the other side woo! gonna keep a little pac 12 love here as we open up the big old bag of mail with a question about oregon's future in the landscape that and your questions from the live audience
1: next Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, taking a look into the big old bag of mail. Again, if you leave us a five-star review, and in that review, put your question, we will add it to a future mail bag episode. This question comes from Jake. Uh, Bud often says you take the checks with the losses with regards to college football expansion. I understand a G5 moving to a P5 because the money is far greater. But if you're Texas or Oklahoma moving is moving to the SEC, really that big of a financial game changer. uh, I'd like to think that I'd prefer winning the Big 12 more than going eight and four in the SEC. Same with USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. Uh, I know the easy follow-up is, but they don't want to get left behind. At what point is that just a self-fulfilling prophecy? We're also scared of two power conferences that we're creating, two power conferences. So here's the final question. Will Oregon be the perfect program to test the idea that it's better to be a big fish in the small pond, or as producer Jordan, so sharply noted, a big duck in the small pond?
3: I love that. Um, Look, Oregon probably is the perfect test case because they are set up to be one of the two or three best teams in the Pac-12 consistently once USC and UCLA leave, and, and already have been. I, I don't want to slight the Ducks. They, they have been one of those teams already, and the access for them is great. The reason I think they're probably the perfect test case is because I think Oregon would be able to self-finance. for for quite a while. And that means you get all of the upside of having a great path to the playoff and less of the downside of not having the checks from the two major leagues.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's i would I don't know if what I'd rather be honestly, I'm not the one getting the checks um <laughs> like if somebody wants to pay me extra twenty million a year just to be another also ran in the conference, I think I could live with that. so I don't know. I think as a fan, I'd rather be the small or the big duck in the small pond. I would rather just be dominating somebody and having success and then going to the playoff and taking my chances there than just being like, I just hope that we get the you know seven wins and go to a bowl game. Now I say this as an Illinois fan who forever has just wanted a program that could win seven, eight games a year and go to bowl game regularly. But I think ideally I would rather be the big fish in the small pond.
0: Yeah. No trophies. Like it
2: Winning's fun.
0: Yeah. It looks really sweet to walk into your facility and have trophies, championship trophies to be, and to have the habit of winning like, Again, back to the naughty C word, like the, what you establish from the culture standpoint of like, we don't lose, that gives you even more of a, in my eyes, more of a sort of intangible advantage when you do get to the college football playoff. If you've lost four times in the season, guess what? That's like in your mental memory, you've been losing. That's not going to mean that every eight and 14 is not going to be able to have more talent and be able to go on a run and win a college football playoff. I think in the expanded era, we're going to see, in the expanded era, we are going to see a three-loss conference, uh, a three-loss national champion. Like There's going to be a three-loss national champion that we're going to say went on a Cinderella run, even though they're loaded with four stars and five stars. Oh, Uh, boy. I can't wait. I can't wait to watch a losing-ass team get hot. Oh, boy. Yeah, I would rather be Oregon. And I'd also say that there's just not a lot of schools that have that, built-in support of being Oregon and being this like massive brand with deep ties uh, to athletic success in so many different sports at the highest level that I or Oregon can show you um, that it can be out there and run the Pac-12. And then when it gets to the college football playoff, we get to like have the Gonzaga conversation like, okay, but can they get it done? They didn't get tested all season. What does it mean for the playoff? And I, I kind of feel like that's a that's a better position than sweating out being the twelfth team in because you went eight and four. It's funny you mentioned Gonzaga considering aren't
2: they trying to join the Big Twelve? Anyways, go ahead, Bud. I know you had <laughs> No,
3: no, I I just I, I think that if we're only focused on like path to the playoff and 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 winning your conference, that is is cool. I, I agree. I, I I think Chip and Tom's points are are valid there especially if the money is not quite as a concern for you. Like if you're Oregon, you have a lot of of billionaires. Now, here's the problem. What if your games week to week really kind of suck, right? Like Cal fans don't travel. That's not a place you want to go visit. Stanford fans, the same thing. Arizona Arizona fans, Arizona State fans don't travel. Like Colorado fans don't travel. Like they got this little Dion thing popping off, but – for most of our lifetimes, they've not been a relevant program. And they're like, you. I think you do get a little bit of envy when you look at the big two leagues and you're like, damn, they get reasonably exciting games every week. And so I think the self-fulfilling prophecy here could be that. If you're Oregon, your conference season kind of becomes a two-game season. It's Utah and Washington. And that's basically it, right? The rest of the schools don't actually care. And, or at least... The fans who show up care, but there's not enough of them, right? Like, you don't have as – the diehards out west think are about as crazy as the diehards down south. The thing is just the number of diehards is far greater in the Big Ten and the SEC compared to other leagues. And you just don't have, you know, as many programs out west in that league or even in the ACC, right, like where the Noles are that actually care, that try. And so I do think there's an element where, like week to week, it's boring. It's, they're not not exciting games. You're not excited to go watch them to buy season tickets. That might be the self-fulfilling prophecy part.
0: And I, I, I do want to like jump in because I'm not pushing back on your general principle, but for clarification purposes, the coaches and the players are trying. The sure. decision on whether or not you're trying to me is like, are you trying to keep up? Like the other part right. of trying is, are you trying to keep up with the very best in your league? And there are institutional decisions that are made about resources, um, time, money, and the like It's like we are willing to give this to try and keep up. And there is a decision that is made throughout, at the highest level and throughout universities in Power Five conferences that are no, we are going to try and like our players and coaches want to go out and win on Saturdays, but we are not trying to keep up with the powers in our neighborhood.
3: Right. Like, okay, just in in my only, like if you go to Boston College or if you go to Pitt or if you go to Syracuse or Wake or Duke or Miami's actually trying, but their fans don't show up. But like that, like the stadium experience as an away fan,
0: they don't show up. It's like this doesn't feel big time. Um, let's see this question from the chat. Andrew says, "Can't the CFP create an NIT type tournament for the back end of the top twenty five? Would you? It's called the bowl season, Andrew."
2: Nah, screw it. Bulls are dead anyway now. Just do it. Yeah. I mean, we could do like a Champions League, Europa League kind of situation. Chip, the playoff will be the Champions League and you'll have a Europa League. And then what we could do is if we have like, you know, you have your top 12 and then you have the secondary tournament, the NIT, whatever you want to call it. What if the champion of that gets a burst to the next year's playoff?
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's what we do with the four extra spots. When we expand to 16, we mm-hmm. expand to 16, but the four spots can be won by the previous team and extra years of eligibility for anybody that gets that so that you can hang around and play in it in case you don't have any eligibility and more roster sizes and more, more, more.
2: And I've been, listen, flip it to the other end of the spectrum. Give me my bottom 25 playoff that I do every single year in my column. Loser advances. The worst 12 teams in the country qualify. Loser keeps having to play. Winner goes home.
0: These teams were not losers, but I will argue... That the end of the Duke's Mayo Bowl showed two head coaches, at least, who did not want to win.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, it'd be great
0: <laughs> if you want to see the future of the bottom twenty-five playoff. Uh, perhaps you can find it right there. Thank you, Andrew, uh, for the question. Um, let's. Mm, yeah, this question comes from Tariq. Assuming Neil Brown gets fired next year, that's a big assumption. <laughs> Who do y'all well, think depends? Does Notre
2: it? Dame have to pay the buyout? Because then he won't be getting fired.
0: <laughs> Who do you think that West Virginia should hire?
2: I have no idea at this point. Um, Urban Meyer.
0: Always. We've already got Deion Sanders, so now we just need now it's just Urban Meyer. We've got Deion Sanders and we've got Matt Rule. So now, now Urban Meyer and John Gruden. John Gruden.
2: John Gruden, throw his name in there. Yeah. John Gruden could work. All right. Realistically what are
3: like what are the goals for West Virginia? Like, do you think you can win the new Big 12? No. Possibly, I guess. I don't know, man. The
0: Big East won. I mean, West Virginia won the Big East. And in terms of overall, maybe not top to bottom but at least in terms of like average the median, not the mean, you could say that current Big 12 and old Big East are not that far away from each other. That's probably fair. Yeah,
2: I mean it has right. a lot of Big East teams
0: in it now. So I think I think your goal should be to compete for I think you should have that the goal that a lot of coaches have when you are sort of a, a middle of the pack conference um in your conference at the major conference level, it's like every five years have one of them be a year that you can go up and sniff it, you know? Cause like Dana went into November at West Virginia with some big games that had they broken differently, West Virginia would have been potentially in the mix to play in the conference championship game at the end of the season. So I think it's possible.
2: What if Jimbo gets fired? Can he go home? That's clearly home to West Virginia. Yeah,
3: he he's, he's from there. I don't think he's going to get fired. But uh, to Tom's point, if he if he was open, I think they would probably go hire him. Um, all right, two that I, I thought of. Dan Mullen had a lot of success at a place that was not a spotlight program. Mm-hmm. It was a place in Mississippi State where academically you could get almost anybody in. That's about the same as West Virginia. They took uh, Coca. Right. I mean, God. Yeah. Uh, like. <laughs> Talent wise, not a ton of talent in the state of Mississippi. West Virginia has even less. So, some like a guy who's good at scouting, good Doesn't at West
0: Virginia, have to go to Florida a lot.
3: Yeah. Well, and that used to be easier when you played some games that were closer to, you know, where these kids actually live. Uh, although, I guess now you got UCF. So, maybe that actually helps, helps West Virginia a little bit. Um, Dan Mullen could make some sense there. Uh, he would only have been at Liberty for 1 year, but I have a hard time thinking Jamie Chadwell wouldn't do well there. Mm. Ultimately, like he's a pretty, you know, he's a country guy, that type of thing. Um
0: Would I, they not look at uh Charles Huff? Does West Virginia not take Marshall's coach?
3: I don't know. Ooh. He I, interviewed for a lot of jobs, right? Or at least like like there
2: were feelers put out, so I I don't know how West Virginia fans would feel about hiring Marshall's coach.
0: That's true. I don't think it would be a bad hire.
2: I don't think it would be a bad hire either. I just think that's that could be a difficult sell. But I don't know. West Virginia fans at this point might just be like, just give me somebody who can make this fun again. Because it hasn't been fun for a while.
3: Is Signetti too old at James Madison?
2: Because he's done a hell of a job with that program. See, that's that's why it's so hard to do. Say hey, first of all
0: 64 or something like that.
2: If can you imagine if Neil Brown is listening to this segment right now, by the way.
0: He is. He's a huge fan of the show.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna
3: cross him off for our guys who will probably appear on the show. They're yeah, I'm saying. It's yeah.
2: it's really hard to do this right now because somebody will emerge. But no, I think it'll it'll have options. I don't know, there won't be home run grand slam kind of options, but I think that they could go a number of different directions.
0: I think the the I'm um, Way too sunshiny on this, but I think the quality of of coaching is at a point right now that there are it, there are options, mm-hmm. right? Like it's it is not all um it's it's not all like retreads or uninspiring options when you start to look at some of the Group of Five conferences and some of the coaching that you've got in some of those Group of Five conferences. Like there are there are number there are a number of coaches that I think you could look at and be like like a Jamie Chadwell, like like a Charles Huff. Um, you know, like Sigmatic. I mean, there are all ends of the spectrum from an experience perspective, but there are very good coaches at that level that I think um, you could be able to go get.
3: All right, so I don't think you could, Garrett Riley immediately popped to mind, but that would be back-to-back-to-back air raid guys, and I don't think that they would do that. Um, but another guy, if his offense takes to the air this year, and if they score maybe 326 points, guys, like, Hard nose mentality, tough place to win. Brian Ferenc. I mean, he's worked for the Patriots.
0: Ference. I'm sorry. I, 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 yeah, like parents. Um, <laughs> can he navigate the changes in elevation? He's really more of a flatland guy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Tom Herman is an interesting one from the chat. Yeah,
0: yes.
2: Yeah. Like, that's an interesting name. Tom,
0: Tom Herman, you know, like you get. Get, I mean, what Lane only did two years at FAU, right? Two, yeah. two years at FAU, win a conference championship, and then uh, Paul Christ.
2: Ooh, mm. I could see that. Maybe. Mm. See, I don't know. Like, Morgantown's a different kind of place. I don't know if Paul Christ is a Morgantown guy.
0: Ah, well, hey, uh, true. That might change his attraction, but I'm we're the, the Brian Kelly theorem says that we should not automatically take the cultural uh, fit into top consideration. He came down there, talked about his family, but then won an sec West title. So I, I can't, I can't, can't use that as a principle, but you are right that how much Paul Crist wants to be there might, uh, might be different for oh, us in that uh, zone.
3: South Alabama guy. Um, Kane Womack. Kane Womack. That could be interesting. That can be that's deep. That's defensive. That's different than than what you've done. Now the last hire did come from Alabama. It was a little north, a little north in in, in Troy. But um, go get Troy's coach again. N- yeah, like that actually probably would work. I just don't think they would go back. You usually, don't hire the same coach again from the same spot. You just hired the one that you had to fire.
0: I don't know. Hasn't that happened before?
2: Maybe. It has, yes. but it's not. It's, it's hard to sell. Again, you got to keep in mind how the fan reaction is going to be.
0: It's true. Uh, all right. Let's, all Let's right, we'll do one last one, um, especially while we're talking about the group of five and power five. This one does come from the big old bag of mail. Uh, thanks to everybody who's been hanging out uh, with the 12 team playoff, allowing an automatic bid to a group of five team, which. You know, they don't say outright, but they say the top six conference champions are going to get automatic bids. So at least one of them will be from a conference that's a current group of five conference. Are the powers that be going to regret this decision in the near future? Because you now have had maybe some of the most successful group of five schools in the last 10 years make a move to power five conferences. And you could have even more high level group of five schools and SMU and S- and San Diego State leave for the Pac-12 The group of five and the power five gap then is widening with those changes. Is any group of five team even worthy of a spot?
3: Wow! They are not going to regret it because this is their way to avoid an antitrust suit. That's (laughs) Like literally, like this is, the NCAA is not very good at not getting sued, but the playoff is not the NCAA. And the guys that run the playoff for the most part, you might say they're crooked, right? You might say, like, they, they get all that payola from the Bulls or allegedly, you know, back in the day. But they're not quite as dumb as the NCAA as far as just being you know, idealist and whatnot. They don't want to get sued for antitrust. This is the
2: way that you avoid that from happening. I will say, to the overall point, which is just the separation yeah, of <laughs> the two. You no, know, no, you're 100% right, though. That That is the correct answer to the question. It's just to the overall point of the gap that is widening. Did you see, what well, we're having him on the show tomorrow. We're starting an hour early, so set your calendars a little earlier. But Bill Connolly will be on the show. He has released his SP Plus rankings for next season, the preseason rankings. And the difference between the Power Five conferences and the top-rated G5 is about two touchdowns on average. It is. Yeah, the, the AAC is really, really low
0: mm-hmm. compared. So,
2: and that, that's the highest-rated uh, – G5. Yeah. And I and I don't think that gap's going to be closing. If it'll, it'll close a little, but I don't think it's going to close much. So yeah, it's I it, the G five should have a automatic spot just for spirit of competition and for legal reasons, but I would not expect that team to do well very often.
0: They've got their mythical Cinderella then. Right? Like whether and you know, whether it is an uh You know, whether it's in North Texas, whether it's uh, an app state, whether it's an FAU or, you know, whoever it ends up being that strings together 10, 11, 12 wins in the regular season, wins their conference championship. And because of the low loss count ends up probably what number 14 in the college football playoff final rankings and gets in. You've got your Cinderella. There will be one school that looks remarkably different um, in terms of its power rating than everyone else. And we'll get to see whether that school can go and win games against some of the most talented teams in the country. Um, as, as the gap continues to widen or the idea that we've got a UMBC, the idea that we've got a St. Peter's the idea that we've got something along those lines. Like, well now, now we do, you know, they, they're playing a different game and they will be included in the same tournament. You just heard it. You just heard it from Tom Fernelli We got ESPN's Bill Connolly coming on the show tomorrow. And, be starting one hour earlier that is 10 a.m eastern time 9 a.m central uh so come and hang out with us uh as we get to go over as he just mentioned the, the SP Plus ratings for the upcoming season are out. He's also got his returning production ratings uh, and in general, just a, a fun conversation. We do it almost every off season, sometimes a couple times throughout the year. Uh, a good friend of ours and yours, Bill Connolly from ESPN, joining the show tomorrow. Uh, so go ahead and make sure that you subscribe and set that clock so you can come and join us at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Pernelli. You can follow him at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.